Just Man's the Podcast. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of Just Man's the Podcast. It's your girl, Amanda. We are back. I hope you guys are having a great Monday. Today is a super special episode because I'm interviewing Ann Rue, who is an interior designer based in Orlando, Florida, and she's also my aunt. So her and my mom are sisters, and obviously I grew up with her in my life, and It's just really cool that I got to sit down and talk to her about her business and her background and get her advice on being a businesswoman. I do want to keep this intro kind of short because this episode is such a good one and I don't want to take up too much time. However, I have to give you guys some life updates because life is kind of hectic right now. If you guys listened to the last podcast, I think I mentioned that I was feeling very bored and how life was pretty mundane, kind of like the calm before the storm. Well, the storm is freaking here. And I know it's just, you know, it's it's a slight drizzle right now. I can see the stormy clouds rolling in. And I know once Sunday comes, it's going to be a freaking tornado because we move into our new apartment in two days. In case you guys missed it, I uploaded the first apartment series video on my YouTube channel last week on Wednesday. Basically, I sit down and chat with you guys about everything that we've bought so far our budget, how much everything costs, and you guys also get to see our place. There's a few clips that are pretty funny of Lucas and I going into the empty unit and taking dimensions for furniture shopping, and I'm realizing that I'm pretty bossy with the apartment. You know, guilty as charged. It's not really a shock to me, (laughs) but... Yeah, it's kind of funny. You guys get to see how Lucas and I took the dimensions and just go behind the scenes. When this episode is live, we will be on day two of moving into our apartment. So I'm sure you guys can go to my Instagram and check out all the stories because I'll be updating you guys throughout the day on Sunday and Monday of us moving in. Maybe I'll do a little highlight too so that you guys can just watch from start to finish of us moving into our new apartment. The next thing I want to briefly touch on is that my baby boy is freaking breach. (laughs) So I am not shocked by this either. I have been so intuitive my whole pregnancy. I knew he was a boy before we even got the call. I have known that he's breached just because I feel him kick literally only in my vagina and my butt. He's rarely kicked or had a bunch of movement up near my ribs. So I've just known. I've been super intuitive. I've known that he's breached. He likes, you know, being breached. He likes chilling out near my ribs. Um, But yeah, I he's breached and I'm 32 weeks pregnant. So they don't typically worry at 32 weeks pregnant. They start to worry if baby is still breached around 36 weeks. But they they do say that babies like to settle into their birth position around 32 weeks. So I'm a little discouraged, but I'm trying to keep a positive outlook because I do think he'll turn. Again, I've been super intuitive this whole pregnancy and just there's a feeling that I'm going to have this baby um, vaginally. So hopefully all turns out like I planned. But, you know, I've heard so many stories from women and I've just listened to so many podcasts and read so many books where people are like, fuck your birth plan. You know, it's going to go out the window. Even if your birth plan goes 
correctly for most of it, there's going to be one thing that you really wanted that didn't happen. So this whole time I've just been very turned off to the idea of a birth plan. And so if, you know, at 36 weeks, this little guy is still hanging out feet first, I am okay with whatever my, I'm in, I'm in the camp of just, just deliver. I just want to deliver this baby. I want to be healthy. That's all I care about. So hopefully he turns, but if not, I'll know that he just doesn't want to be moved because you guys know that I will do everything that I can to get him turned. So I can go more into about what I plan to do in the coming weeks if he's still hanging out breach. But for now, I don't really want to touch on it. I don't really have the energy to touch on it today because I've just, I've been doing a lot of research on breach and I'm just kind of drained right now. So if you guys want to know the things that I'll be doing, the more holistic, natural things that I'll be doing to encourage baby boy to flip, I can do that in a different episode. But for now, I'm just going to leave the breach update to that because mama's tired. I don't want to talk about it. Lastly, I am taking my CPT exam this upcoming Thursday. So again, like I said, this week, the tornado's coming. There's a lot that's going on. And between moving in and just being 32 weeks pregnant, I'm also taking my CPT exam on Thursday of move-in week. So really planned everything out. Great. (laughs) But yeah, if you guys haven't been following along, I am studying to get my personal trainer's license And I am pretty nervous about it. So I started the course, I would say in January, and it's taken me this long to take the exam, mostly because COVID, my exam date got pushed back a lot. I, my original exam date was May, but it got canceled because of COVID. So I'm just nervous because I'm, I'm a good studier and I'm a good student. So when I really apply myself to something and I study, there's no way that I'm failing watch watch me fail my exam and come back here and be like so guys guess what I failed no there's really no way I'll fail because I'm determined enough to not fail however if you guys don't know I was an English major in college and science is not my strong suit so I am a little nervous because as I've been studying it's a lot of anatomy it's a lot of science-based learning and it's a lot of sciencey words and terms and concepts to really lock down. However, again, I'm determined. And you know what? If I want to teach Orange Theory classes or be like a badass Peloton instructor, because I think that would be killer too, or just whatever. If I want to be in the personal trainer's field and teach, I really want to teach group classes. That's kind of my jam. So if I want to do that, I got to make it work. I got to make the exam work. So Hopefully all things go well and I report back to you guys in a few weeks saying that I got my certificate. All right, to give you guys a more formal intro of what this episode is all about, again, I'm interviewing my Aunt Anne, who is the owner of Anru Interiors. And let me just give you guys the full rundown on my aunt because her website just says it all. So her website says, Anru is one of the most trusted and celebrated luxury interior designers in Central Florida. She has been featured on HGTV, HuffPost, the Travel Channel, and in the Wall Street Journal for her groundbreaking design work, consistently being voted one of the top designers in Central Florida. That's true. She was like top designer in Central Florida throughout my whole life. 
Uh, well, as I, what I can remember from what I can remember, that's what she was. Um, she does everything from multifamily community design and model merchandising. And she also obviously did some residential. She did like all of our houses growing up. So if you guys have ever been to my houses, you guys know that they're all beautiful thanks to her. And within this episode, she gives us all the tea on her experience on HGTV's Design Star, which was a design reality TV show and Travel Channel's Hotel Impossible that she did. We also talk about how getting fired from her job was the best thing that ever happened to her because it forced her to start her own business. We talk about how important it is as a business owner to be able to pivot, especially through hard times, aka like coronavirus. And she also gives us her tips on confidence and how to fake it till you freaking make it. Lastly, if you are a new mama or a soon-to-be mama like me, this episode is so, so great for you if you are somebody who is a mom or soon to be a mom but still wants a career because selfishly, I wanted to get all of the scoop on how it was being a businesswoman but also a mom and a single mom at that. She gets so real on all these sacrifices and the perks and the benefits and you know, it's just, it's, it's something that I am really passionate about is being able to do both being a mom and a businesswoman. Granted, I haven't been a mom yet, but it's something that I think a lot of women are fearful of that they can't do both when they have a baby. So we get real with all of that on balancing mom life and work life. And this is just a great episode for anyone who is, a young woman, or even a young man trying to start their career. All right, so let's just jump right into it. Tell everyone who you are and a little bit about your business. Um, I'm Ann Rue. My business is Ann Rue Interiors. Yes, and and (laughs) I'm Amanda's aunt. Um, And I'm an interior designer. Um, That uh, Definitely interior design wasn't what I set out to be. I wanted to be a fashion designer. My first degree is in fashion design, but... um, I wasn't, you know, moving to Paris and going to work for a famous designer. So you went to I, Paris though, correct? I did. I did. I did school abroad in Paris and that was awesome. But, um, it was just kind of like my reality wasn't going to be that I was either going to live in New York or a place that London, the place that fashion was going to happen. So, um, I had to rethink and I floundered for probably about two years and I went back to school for interior design. And so, um, that's what I do. I do residential, I do multifamily and I do model merchandising. So where was your undergrad at then? Um, Art Institute of Port Lauderdale. And then where did you get the interior design? SSC. Seminole oh, okay. Just now at Seminole State, but yeah, they had a great program and it's affiliated with Florida State. So Florida State's got one of the best um, design schools out there. So how did you know you wanted to get into interior design after fashion design? Was it just because it was a creative field? Definitely. Um, and I think that they kind of mesh, you know, together really well. It's, it's, um, it's very visual. It's, you know, you have to understand color and texture. Um, but honestly, you know, at that age, you're kind of like, I don't know, I'll just try this out. You know, it, it just, and it was the right thing. Obviously. Did you think you were ever going to go back to fashion design? No. Yeah. Do I think I want to go back to fashion design right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we need, they need your help right now. Every store that I've been to is like, awful. there's nothing. It's awful. It's, Maybe it's because of COVID. I don't know. 
I don't know either, but it's so funny. I'm always like checking out Melody Pace's podcast. I'm like, well, what's she wearing? What's she doing? Because there is nothing to buy. <laughs> well, you know what she told me? She told me a really good tip to look at the stylist of a celebrity's Instagram account because they have really awesome stuff and really good. You know how they all do like to know it. So you can find yeah. all their stuff. Okay. And it's, well, you know, you want to, you want to follow the stylist because they know what they're doing. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing too. We're all in lounge clothes now, you know, yeah. comfortable clothes. and I think it's going to become globally accept- acceptable to, you know, be in that every day without a suit and tie, but, um, you can't find stylish, you know, things. I mean, you being in, in, in Denver, you can, you know, the sweatshirts and sweatpants. I'm in Florida. Yeah. I'll, I'll smother to death in sweatpants and sweatshirts. So it's like, I want to develop this whole line of like lounge clothing that is stylish, but not too heavy. And I don't know. I'm well, there's that. a few, there's one called Lunya. That's really awesome. Actually. It's like silk PJs. Um, I have it. You do. Of course you do. I have it. Terribly <laughs> expensive. Terribly expensive, yeah. but I do love it. You yeah. know, damn Kim Kardashian got in there real quick. She she foresaw the pandemic and she started Skims, her loungewear line. She freaking runs the world. <laughs> I know. I know. You, you got to get in there with her. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Seriously. Okay. So I want you to talk a little bit more about how you flounder because I know that was something that you always told me growing up was like, you know, right after college, everyone's so quick to be like, I need to get this job. I need to get a job in my major. So talk about how you found her, because I think that could be really helpful for people, especially now who are my age, who are like, there's no jobs there out there. Yeah. Well, and and again, I I think that people coming out of college and thinking they're going to have this big career and do whatever. Now there are some, you know, like if you're going to be an accountant or whatever, you know, you intern for that. But most people coming out with a business degree or any other kind of degree, um, yeah, you kind of got to figure it out. And I mean, I came back from, you know, in um, fashion design school, I was a nanny. I was the worst waitress in the world. I, <laughs> I can't even see you as a waitress. <laughs> I would be a great waitress now. But, yeah. <laughs> I, but no, back then I was like, I don't really want to do this. I hate every minute of this, you know? And, and so you do, you flounder and, um, you know, so you, you just kind of figure it out along the way. And it's life's experiences that, you know, sets you to where you're going. And I think that, you know, I, I do self-help stuff. I'm re- I read all the time and you know, that's just me. I'm you know, it's yeah. like nausea. But um, anyway, I think, you know, what I learned at a later age that thankfully I did is what is it that you, you get out of bed to do? Nobody has to tell you to do it. What is it that you enjoy to do? Like brings you joy, brings you energy and life and figure out how to make money that way. That's just what it is. And if you can figure that out, God bless. But again, it doesn't mean that you can't have a, you need a job to support yourself, but right. then get a side hustle. Right. So you think you it's know? important to always, you know, pursue your passion, but also be able to afford shit. <laughs> it is. It's so true. It's so true. And that leads you to other things and those experiences. Maybe you're in a job right now that you don't necessarily love, but always figure out, you know, who's, who's the influential, influential person here that I can learn from and I can do better at. And, and and then you grow from there. Exactly. I think it's all about making connections and networking, but I think that's something that my generation is so quick to ignore or just not even want to do is put in the work when they don't enjoy it. And sometimes it's just what you have to do to get to where you want to be. You have to, you have to. And, and again, it's part of our fault as parents because we wanted to give you guys everything. And, and like my children have, no, I, my son's 18, finally got a job, you know, <laughs> delivering pizza, thank God. Oh, good well, for, like, wait, for who? Uh, Papa Joe's. Love it. Longwood. 
Put them to work. Remember we used to go there. We used to go there for every birthday, remember? Yep. Because it was yep. kind of in between. Yeah. I remember but, I um, remember when we went, Lawton was literally inhaling the spaghetti. Not even not even chewing. Just inhaling. Swallowing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Typical. Typical. <laughs> but um, you know, so so he's finally got a job. I had a job at 15. I was waitress at the old folks' home, you know, at 15. Mm. But I did that because grandma wasn't gonna buy me my Jordash jeans or what were they back then? They weren't Jordash. They were like some kind of jeans that were like 108 bucks back then and I was like I want those jeans you know yeah you gotta do what you gotta do I remember I went when we went to see Oprah I don't know if she said this for you but like you have to do what you got to do to get to where you want to go. And I think that sometimes in my generation with social media and just how people are seeing all these people make money online, it's like no one wants to do anything unless it looks cool. And it's like, that's just not a good logic because you're not going to get anywhere. It's not reality. And, you know, I think that this pandemic, as terrible as it is, people are starting to understand, oh my gosh, what's really important in life? What do I need? You know? And, um, you know, I, mean, I love fashion, you do too, I mean, all that kind of stuff, but really the money that I spent on clothes and shoes and bags and whatever, stupid. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Yeah. It really is. And I think that as I've gotten older, I've realized that, but definitely through this experience, which brings it into like what I do, what I, you know, interior design is a luxury business, Yeah. but where it's kind of helped me through this pandemic is people are in their homes and they want their homes to be functional and livable. So even though it's, it's a luxury business, um, it's, it's also very important. It's, it's more important than the handbag you're carrying. So, I didn't even think about that. People are probably sitting in their homes looking at like every crevice being like, this needs to be fixed. This needs to be redone. This needs to change. <laughs> yeah. So I'm doing, and we'll get to it, but I'm, I'm doing things in my business that I never would have done even a year ago. I'm doing consultations. I'm doing Zoom consultations. I'm going to people's homes and telling them how they can do it themselves um, then I've got, you know, all the other clients that are like full design clients where we're renovating their kitchen, we're renovating the master bath, we're redoing the floors, we're doing the furniture. Um, but, and that's normally what I do on a residential scale, either a new construction builder or a major renovation, things like that. But I'm doing smaller scale things because first of all, it's profitable and it's just my time. It's my time and my expertise and I'm helping people, you know, and that feels good. Yeah. And it's, it's about pivoting. I mean, you're not going to survive something like this oh, if man. you're not pivoting. I've pivoted so many times. <laughs> okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll get there later in, in, in the uh, yeah. interview, but I want to talk a little bit about HGTV because I don't think a lot of people know that you were on a reality show. Yeah. Yeah. Two. Cause I did HGTV and then travel channel, uh, hotel impossible. Oh yes. I forgot about a hotel impossible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. talk a little bit about those experiences. Um, oh, amazing. Absolutely amazing experiences. And and what's really interesting is, um, you know, it, it, that's eight years ago that I did that show, almost nine. And, um, you know, Design Star was a, a show that I had watched, you know, for many years and always thought, oh, I could do that. I could do that. But you don't think about actually trying to, you know, get on or whatever. And at the time, you know, I had, I had two kids. I didn't know. I had three kids at the time. Yeah, you I had, had three. Yeah, you had Holt. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I had the greatest nanny in the world and she actually ended up working in my business and stuff like that. But, um, she just said to me one day, she said, um, you know, they're doing a cast open cast call for design star in Miami. I think you should go. It was like two weekends away. And at the time I was still married and my, um, uncle Brandon was headed to India to do some kind of, I don't know, retreat shaman thing. I don't know. Some church thing. 
And, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I've got three kids and I'm working and I was like, there's no way I can go. Brandon's out of town. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I'll, I'll keep the kids for the weekend. So I called one of my girlfriends and I'm like, you know, one of my kind of carefree girlfriends. I said, you want to go to Miami for the weekend? And she, she's like, sure. You know, like, I thought you'd like, never ask. <laughs> exactly. So we, um, we went and so we went down on a Friday, the open casting call was on a Saturday and just kind of this, I've never done anything like that. It's this kind of call and you go in and you kind of talk to people and the person I, and you see people come in and come out. And, um, I, I went in, I spoke to this person, I don't know, 15 minutes. And, uh, she turns to me and she says, here's this slip. I want you to come back tomorrow for an on-camera um, interview slash, slash whatever. And you had to do like a, um, I made a custom window treatment or something. You had to do like a, a craft or something and or show something. And um, she says, but don't go walking out of here like you got the golden ticket. You you know, don't act like, you, you know. And I was like, oh crap, I, you know, I only got a hotel room for one night. Like what? And so I go back out and my girlfriend's waiting for me. I'm like, can you stay another night? She's like, sure. <laughs> we did. We stayed up that night. Like I had to go to Joanne Fabrics and like get fabric and all this kind of stuff. And so anyway, the, <laughs> I get, then they fly me to New York to um, do a, do an uh, interview in New York, in New York and do be on camera and stuff like that. And uh, I don't get it. I don't get on that season. That was season seven. Oh my gosh. So I remember said, that. Yeah. I don't get on. I was like depressed because I, I, I had it. I knew I had it. And, um, but you know, things, God has a plan and things happen for a reason. So, uh, I stayed in touch with the producers and they had said, you know, we, we want you to come back next year. Well, the, the next year when they were doing the open casting call, I had a girl's trip. Like I have this annual, annual girl's trip. And I was like, you know, I don't know if I want to miss that, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, they said, we'll just send in a video. And so I did. And then they flew me out to New York after that. And I got on season eight. Long story to how I got there, but, and it was very exciting. And, so it almost uh, took less effort the second time around to actually get it than it did the first totally, time. <laughs> totally. Because you know more uh, as well yeah. too. And I'd already been kind of through it and I knew the right people to contact. So, um, so it was good. And, and I loved everybody on that season because you do, you become like family. So when you go to these reality um, shows, competition reality shows, um, you have no contact with the outside world, no cell phone, you, you have no computer, you don't get the papers, nothing, um, because they don't want you to communicate, you know, with anybody what's going on. And so at the time, my kids were little, uh, and um, I'm, you know, I'm here in Florida, but we were in LA. So our time to talk to our family was like once a week or twice a week at 9pm LA time. It's midnight at home. So I didn't talk to my kids. I mean, I, on Valentine's Day, I think I got to video with the kids, but I didn't speak to my kids for three months. That's Just, so wild. And I spoke to you know, my husband, like, I don't know, three or four times, but you are, so everyone lives in the same, ours was like a condo house or a three story. Um, and we were right off of, um, the Hollywood strip. Uh, we never got to go walk down the Hollywood strip. Never. No, none of that. You can't go out. You don't get to leave. People. No. No. Um, and when you, when you first get there, you're not allowed to talk to each other. They would call it, you're on ice because they don't want you to communicate anything. They want it all on camera. So, um, it's just, it's, it's very interesting, but you become this family. So I shared a room with Chris Aramy and, um, they're upstairs. There was like three other people and then the boys were another, but you're, you're having breakfast together. You're having lunch. You're just, you become this family and, uh, you just, 
love each other. You know, even though you're competing against each other and it's just like Survivor. Every week somebody goes home and yeah, and you do, you pack your stuff and you go. Um, Cause I always thought, oh, they don't really pack their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do. And if not, they'll ship it to you because I bring it to you because um, I made it to the, um, just before the finale. So, um, so I never came home. Some people who got kicked off early, they went back home and then they flew them back out to LA for the finale. And, um, but yeah, it was uh, an amazing experience. I will never do a reality um, competition thing again. Um, Cause it's just, you, you do, you feel like a child. You feel like you have no control over anything. Um, and you, you realize that reality TV is not reality. It's, it's very contrived. There's not a script by any means, but they, um, and it's so funny when you're watching Bachelor and Bachelorette, you know, when they have the interviews. Totally. Um, so this is very interesting. So after the first show or the first episode, which it's in three days, we actually did things in three days. Um, it's not a full week. They sit you down and you talk for about two hours about what happened, your experience on that episode. Okay. So then you do the second episode. Now you sit down, you're there for about three hours because they're going to ask you the same exact questions they asked you from the first episode. Now they're asking questions from the second episode. Then you do it again. Then the third, because you're going to answer that question differently every time. So then therefore you're on camera so they can put whatever clip that is in there. So at the end of eight episodes, I'm like, I don't, I don't remember what happened, you know, in the yeah. first thing. Like, and you're exhausted. And it's like, at the end, you're, there, you're sitting in front of a camera for five hours and they're asking you the same because then they can play whatever they want. So keep that in mind whenever you're watching these reality shows. <laughs> Do you think it was easy for you to get on camera and, and be yourself or was it adjustment? But, it, you know what? I, I don't, I've never been on camera before and it was really easy. And I have no idea. I think it's a mindset. It just didn't scare me. Where other people, um, oh, what's his name? I don't want to call him Garth, but it's not. Brooks. Brooks, mm. the greatest guy ever. And he had the hair and everything. And in person, yep. he's wonderful. On camera, he just couldn't do it. He would freeze. And um, yeah, so that's kind of part of it too. I bet, the, I bet the living situation though, when you're all kind of in the same place and you're all on camera together and that kind of probably makes it a little easier sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, um, you know, you, it, it, it was a great experience. It was, it was exhausting, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot did of fun. you, did you watch it back and then be like, I don't even remember saying that or doing that? <laughs> um, well, I will say after the first episode or I learned very quickly, not to let the producers or even the camera people or the sound people or anything like that know that you are um, frustrated or annoyed or um, because they play on that. Then they, you know what I'm saying? So they, so I always had the, oh yeah, it's doing great. We're doing great. Blah, blah, blah. And um, because I didn't want them to make that a thing. Because there was one episode where my drapes went missing and they blamed it on betting, the, blame the betting on Boris. He didn't steal my bedding, but, um, and then there was another thing where my drapes were missing, you know, and I was like, you know, you got it, you get frustrated about it, but you pivot and you're like, okay, well, we're not going to have drapes in this episode. Um, you know, just stuff like that. And it's stupid TV drama, yeah. but, um, you know, they make but that's, that's who makes it so good are the people who do play into that drama, <laughs> you know? Oh. So it must be frustrating for the producers to get someone like you who are like, I'm not playing your game. <laughs> you know, I'm here well, to win, but I'm not playing your game. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think so. And I, I'm going to be honest. I think that's why I didn't make it to the finale. Probably. I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, it's a reality show. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just, but I did win fan favorite. So that's a good thing, you know? Um, but yes, I have, I watched it back. I watched the, it when it came on TV. And then just recently, like the beginning of the pandemic, my boys were like, um, well, this is before you saw that they replayed mm. a, some of it and you saw me on there, yeah. but my boys found it on like, I don't know, Amazon prime and they were watching it. I literally came home one day and I'm like, like mom will watch you on TV. I'm like, okay. Now I know you're bored. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Hotel impossible is a reality show where, you know, I you have my cell phone on, it's not quarantining like that, but, um, they kind of, off of the people, the designers that have been on a reality show before. So that's how I got the Hotel Impossible thing mm. because they saw me on Design Star. Which and one was more fun for you? Probably Hotel Impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even though I've ne- I don't, I love the experience I had on Design Star, but Hotel Impossible was uh, challenging in a different way to where um, I, I was in Alaska twice. I mean, um, all over uh, the United States we went and um, they would fly me out two weeks before and so to look at the, the hotel and everything. Now, these are the most disgusting hotels you've ever seen in your entire life. They <laughs> yeah. have bed bugs, they're run down. The, you know, there's prostitutes living there. It's just bad. And um, you got to, my job was to clean up the lobby area um, and then also do one room and to kind of show the, the hotel owner how they can fix all the hotel rooms. Um, but I literally when I would leave, I had two weeks to, I'm sorry, two weeks to, um, get everything ordered and shipped there. Tile. Um, I, when I, and when I was there and I was only there for like two or three days to do the prep stuff, I'd also have to interview contractors and I'd have to hire a contractor on spot. So you had to do all that. They didn't provide that for you on the show. They provide me with a list of contractors to, to contact, but no, uh, that was all my job uh, and um and making that happen is not easy um but i kind of thrive on that i love yeah. that challenge yeah so but again there too if if you know you've got it in your design plan that we're going to have this certain tile or we're going to have this chair and it doesn't ship then no it's not there if it's not there by we called it day 0 so then the shoot is 5 days mm. so di- day 0 is when you get there if a product that I had selected, a piece of furniture or tile or whatever, was not there on day zero. I had to cut it out of the design scheme and then pivot. Mm-hmm. That's insane. So yeah, it's a, that's a huge challenge. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun and I went to a lot of great places. Well, I went to a lot of crappy places, but um, you know, it was, it was fun. It was a fun experience. Do you think that helped your business at all being on those two TV shows? I will tell you this. Um, it's, if I was more savvy at the time, and again, you got to think about this, it's nine years ago, Facebook, there was no Instagram. If I had known, I always say if I had had a good agent, um, that it probably would have done a lot of great things for my business. Um, I get a lot of um, people know who I am because of it, but they're not necessarily hiring me because of it. I think if social media, if you, like if you did it now, you would oh. get crazy yep. business afterwards. Yeah. Totally. And it just wasn't then there at that time. And even when I was doing Hotel Impossible, which was a couple years later, it's still what the social media wasn't what it was. And, and you know me, I'm the worst. At social media. <laughs> and um, so, you know, it just wasn't my thing. I wish it was my gift. 
because I probably yeah. could have done more things. Yeah. Okay. So going off of that though, I mean, I'm sure confidence played a huge role in one getting casted for the show, but also being on the show and performing kind of, mm-hmm. do you think that in the beginning of your business, it was a lot of fake until you make it. And is it oh, still that like, now? That's my motto. That's my motto. And it should be everybody's fake it till you make it. Because you know what? Nobody comes out knowing exactly how to do it. And no one's perfect. Everybody's faked it till they make it. And that's what you have to do. That is, that's been my motto in life. Fake it till you make it. Do you think you still do that now sometimes? Oh God, that's so interesting. Um, I don't really have to fake it anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, um, you're like, I'm the shit. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but so, but I do um, keep in mind that because part of fake it till you make it is having a positive attitude and having the confidence to do it. So I do remind myself now that always have the positive attitude about it. Um, always think about the best or the bright side of it. Um, and also in my career now, I have to learn when to say no. That's a huge thing. Um, so I think I'm better at that now and I'm not as much fake it till you make it, but that was, that was my motto. And I think, like you said, part of fake it till you make it isn't necessarily acting like you know everything, but it's being like, you know what? I don't know everything, but I'm going to learn and I'm going mm-hmm. to be here and I'm willing I'm to figure it out. do it. Yeah, exactly. Figure it out. And that's, that's part of it too, especially like in interior design, I'm, I'm working with contractors, architects, builders, um, uh, trades, uh, and I don't know everything. I'm not a contractor, but I have to know enough to know when the contractor screwed up, you know, or that the architect, the size of the room is not the right size. And, but that's a collaboration, you know? So then I go back to the architect and, Hey, I just noticed this and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I can't tell you how many right now residential floor plans I get. And I, I look at it and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like there's so much wasted space in this house. And I have to very, um, what is the word I want to say? Delicately or politely or um, not, not bashing these people because I mean, this is their home. It's the most expensive thing they're ever going to purchase. And, um, but say to them, did you think about this? Or I'd like to massage this because this does not lining up. You know, I have to be very appropriate and um, kind when I, I tell them mm, we're going to change this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think that comes with, like you said, experience too, is having the ability to do that. Because I think a lot of people, at least my age, struggle with confidence and that's why they don't start something or they're like, I don't know enough yet. I mean, I'm guilty of that, but like, I think it's so important to tell people like, you're not going to know everything. No. And what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Right. Try. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to die. Right. You know, know, and and you're going to mess up. I've messed up so many times. You're going to mess up. So then you pick yourself up and you go on to the next thing or you learn from it and go on. Exactly. I mean, it's also too, like, even if you do try and fail and realize, oh, maybe this isn't for me, then you get to pivot and do something else, which if you didn't even try, you would have just kind of stayed stagnant. No. Do you think Oprah got it right the first time? Do you think Steve Jobs got it right the first time? No. That's how you learn. You got to mess up along the way. You know, hopefully in in my experience- there's been some mess ups, not any that were too big that did like bankrupt me or, you know, financially strap me. Although there's plenty of people that do go bankrupt and, and, but you know what, they pick themselves up and they, they do it again and they, they come out stronger. So, you know, you just can't be afraid. You can't let fear control you. 
So what would you say your biggest tip would be for someone my age who is struggling with confidence or even imposter syndrome and just doesn't know how to get out of it or what to do about it? Um, again, it goes back to a lot of soul searching. And I, I do think a lot of people your age are much, what's the word I want to say, much more enlightened than I was at your age. So give yourself some credit. I think you guys have too much information and too much time to think about it. And um, we didn't have all this information <laughs> in my day. Uh, but yeah, you cannot let fear run your life. And you got to go for it. You got to try because nobody's going to do it for you. Do you want to look back in 10 years and say, oh God, I wish I would have done that or tried it? I Just totally agree with you in the fact that we have way too many, too much information because I'll get to the point where it's like, I could ask the person that I'm afraid of asking these questions, but I'll just Google, you know, I'll Google them or something when it's like, no, sometimes asking those things can build your confidence. And then confronting that person can build your confidence and, and it could, you know, facilitate a better relationship. It's like, we do have so much access to just getting a quick answer. And sometimes that's not always great. And, And here's the thing. One of the best things that you can do and questions you can ask is, when somebody tells you something, you're getting at some information, you just honestly say to them, you know what? I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. Can you explain that to me a little bit more? Because you know what? That's how you learn. And that person really wants to talk about what they know. People want to talk about what they love and what they're good at. And they love educating other people in that. So I can talk about interior design. I can talk about business and business struggles all day long. Like, and I do, I go to these conferences and I speak and, um, and it's no problem for me because I know what I'm talking about. Now, if you asked me to go up and uh, talk about accounting or fixing a computer, I'd be like, absolutely not. No, because I, you know, do what you know, do what you love, do what, you know, gives you energy and, you know. What's easy what, to what talk I, about. Yes. I remember one of the, one of the things that you told me, I think I was like 14 that really stuck with me when. I don't know. I was going through this period where I had really bad social anxiety and you told me you were like, Amanda, people are too concerned about themselves to really give a fuck about what you're saying. (laughs) Like most of the time when you're talking to someone, they're so self-conceited. They're, they're thinking about themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think if you, if you keep that in mind, when you're talking to somebody maybe who's in a higher position than you in the workforce or whatever that you're intimidated by, it's like, don't be so self-conceited to where you think that they're constantly trying to pick, pick at you. Like, no, they're probably worrying about themselves. Yeah. I mean, they put their pants on one, one leg at a time, just like we do. They've got struggles. They've got anxiety. They've got, um, they're, they're probably looking at themselves thinking, Oh God, you know, this young girl, she's probably, she can probably see right through me. You know what I'm saying? Like, so don't ever. And, and there's another thing too, that I was wanted to bring back is like when you were, if you're doing that job that you don't necessarily love, but it's the job that you have to do to make money, never count anybody out. And I always say like, when you're going through the, the grocery line at Publix and that person who's checking you out, guess what? They have a life, they have struggles, they have things you can learn from. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it doesn't, they don't have to be the president of the whatever to give you a, a, a lesson or, or you know, educate you on something. It just doesn't. It, it's, you can learn from everybody and don't, don't count anybody out ever. Yeah. I think that's a great tip because I think, I think too often we try, we ignore the, the people who are really the building blocks for these huge successful companies or whatever. And people just want to listen to the top guy or they want to be under the top guy. And it's like, don't underestimate the people that that top guy hired. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's who's keeping him afloat and keeping him going. Right. Worker bees. Exactly. So what year did you exactly start Anro Interiors? It was 2000. I was pregnant with Lawton. 2000. And you know, the only reason I started my own business is because I got fired. Yeah. Talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I, um, when, um, I was still in school. I started working for a really big interior designer that's still here uh, in this area today. It's, it's still amazing. Um, and I worked there for three years. And I'm going to tell you, um, I love him, but he's the was the hardest person to work for in the world. He's kind of a son of a bitch. And he still kind of is a son of a bitch. But, um, but he's really good at what he does. And, um, and I learned everything I needed to learn from him. I really did. So... Um, I, then I had an opportunity to go um, design luxury motor coaches. You know, the big buses that the race car drivers and the movie stars are in, I mean, these $2 million buses. And, um, you know, and some of these clients, if they could have gold running through their fabric, you know, they would. It's just it, money's no object. And um, so I did that for a year, year and a half. And then a yacht company saw a bus that I did and they wanted me to design their yachts. Well, I had a full-time job doing buses, but I, and I said to them, I'll do it on the side. You know, I'll do it. I didn't really think there was a conflict of interest, but I really wasn't going to ask either. Um, plus I was doing like a residential project. So, you know, when you're a designer and you're in kind of this field, you, you're doing lots of things. And, um, it's kind of like freelance work in a way. It is. It is. So, um, so I was, I did the yacht thing and the bus company found out and they fired me. <laughs> they really had a problem with it? Oh Yeah fired me. And, um, again, but think about it, that getting fired sucks, 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 sucks. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me. How old were you? Um, I was 29. Yeah. So again, go for it. Take a chance, get fired, you know, because it forces you to do the next thing. Fortunately, you know, the yacht company still wanted me to design their yachts. I was doing a, a new construction residential project and it just grew from there. And I mean, I've been very blessed. Uh, um, that it worked that way. Um, you know, I still think every project that I get is a gift. Um, you know, you work hard at it and, you know, sales and marketing part of this business and being in the right place in the right time and knowing the right builder and the right architect to get the next job. And it's a lot of work, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm still very thankful for every project I get. Even though you were fired and that's kind of what propelled you to start your business. Did you think that you were ever going to start your business before that, your own business? You know what's so funny? No. I don't think I thought I would be a business owner. Yeah. I still don't think I thought too far forward. Isn't that funny? Mm. And, um, you know, and I know a lot of people have these, you know, visions and whatever. I I don't think I did. I was just Well, I think sometimes there's beauty in not having a five-year plan because then you leave room for mistakes. Like you said, you got fired and then that turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to you in your life. But I think if some people, if you're, if you're too strict or set on a certain plan, you don't leave room for these opportunities to fall in your lap. Totally. Totally. So I want to talk about what it was like being a business woman in 2000, in the year 2000, because I'm sure it looked different. It was very different. And, um, you know, and I, I just had a baby. Like I was pregnant and just having a baby. Now you gotta understand when I started my business, I actually started my business and about oh, three months later, I worked out of my home and for about three months. And then there was a designer 
that had a wallpaper fabric kind of shop and she did blinds and stuff like that. She was, it was a little bit different than what I did. She did more of a retail kind of thing. And unfortunately she was dying of cancer and she had to sell her business. And I would, the only reason I did, I would go in there to look at wallpaper and fabrics and things like that. And I, you know, I found out that she was trying to sell a business and I was like, I'm buying it. And I did, I bought, I bought it for $30,000. And um, yeah, yeah, I think I paid, shoot, I don't know, $600 a month, you know, monthly until it was paid off or so, I don't know. And um, so this is 2000 and I'm pregnant and I bought this business and uh, we didn't have computers. We had no computers. I mean, we were writing, you know, everything was a purchase order, it was handwritten. You know, it was just, it was so different. And then about a year in, yeah, 2001, um, that's when I brought in computers. And that's the thing too. The, when I bought the business, it came with this admin person or whatever, you know, like a, um, I had to fire her <laughs> because think of it, she was so old school and I'm yeah. like, no, we gotta have computers. We gotta yeah. have QuickBooks. We gotta have a, you know, system. And, um, yeah, I, I, firing somebody is not easy. Who was, I'm really who good was at there? It yeah. Firing someone yeah. who was there before you is like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm good at it now, but I've had to do it many times being in business 20 years now. Um, but yeah, I, uh, it, so it was different. I, and I loved it. I, I mean, even though I had a newborn baby, I brought him to work. Grandma, you know, would come to work and help. I mean, those days I was working seven days a week and didn't bat an eye about it, you know, cause I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And just kind of grew the business and built it up. And yeah, it was way different. That's so funny to think about too, because now for all the designs that you do, you use a computer. I, I couldn't live without my computer. I do everything on PowerPoint. Um, but I, I do remember the days where we had catalogs. I mean, we, you know, that's how you got the information. You had catalogs and then we'd um, put them on the copier and we'd print them and then we'd, and that's how we'd present to clients. So what is, so, cause CAD is how you do floor plans and everything and, and everything, well, everything again, with the layout. Well, think, think about it. You know, we did everything by hand then. There were, the CAD wasn't, CAD was probably just starting. So no, and we, I, and I had this wonderful interior um, architecture uh, um, design person that I worked with at the previous place. I mean, beautiful drawings when she, she could draw up a floor plan and it's, it's like artwork. And, um, it, it was just absolutely beautiful. We did everything by hand. We scaled it in by hand. We used our, yeah. Mm -hmm. Were you able, did you draw? Like, could you draw like that? So I can draw, um, to scale and I can do a floor right. plan and I can do all that kind of stuff, but I am not an artist. No, terrible. Like I, that's so crazy to think about because I mean, it is such a creative field and like the computer literally allows you to do so much now. I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> no. And I, and I often look back, I'm like, how did we get anything done? Yeah. But we did. Yeah. We did. We got the same stuff done. It's just, yeah, it's, it's been a huge change. Huge How, change. So when you started, was it just you? It was me and then the employee that came with the business. <laughs> yeah. And you know, she was great for, you know, for the, what it was to get me over the hump. And then, um, then I brought in my first employee that I brought in that oh, Trisha love her. I, if she could work for me now, I'd love it. But, um, she was with me for five years and, we used to work together at that other design firm that I worked for, the first design firm I ever worked for. And um, she stayed about, I don't know, another two years after me. And I was like, I don't know how you could handle it. Cause you know, it was just very tough environment to work in. I mean, if you showed up 
after 8 a.m. and left before 6 p.m., it was frowned upon. And you had to eat at your desk. You can't go to lunch. I mean, that was the environment of uh, this. Yeah, that's yeah it, was, it was unbelievable. But um, so I hired her on. And, um, you know, it was yin and yang. We were, because we'd worked together so well before, what I'm good at, she's not good at. What she's good at, I'm not good at. And we just tag teamed it. And really, you know, she helped me build this business. And um, yeah, very, very thankful to have had her. And again, that was, that's all luck. I mean, you think about it, you know, it's just, that was a gift. So how important do you think it is for business owners to delegate then? Because I, I think that sometimes, also sometimes people don't know how to pick the right people to bring onto their team. So what would I, you say? That's still the hardest thing in yeah. the entire world to do. Um, it really, really is. And I've messed it up many, many times, but I've also gotten it right many, many times as well. Uh, again, always go back to what is it that you're good at and what is it that you know? And you stick to that. Like I've always had an accountant and a bookkeeper. I, mm. I'm not good at that. I'm not going to pay my bills. I, that's not <laughs> my gift, paying the bills. Yeah. No, but do I know which bills need to be paid? Absolutely. Do I know how much money is in the bank? Absolutely. Um, so again, you, as a business owner, you have to be aware of all the pieces and parts, but put the right people to do that. So you think for those people who are like, I really could use somebody to help me with this, but it's just, I can't afford that. Do you think that's an excuse? It's an excuse. And I will tell you outsource. So, you know, because of this pandemic, I had a business coach that had for years um, told me, you know, outsource, outsource, outsource. And I just kept hiring employees, hiring employees. I didn't think I could do outsource. I went from, I've had, when I had the retail shop, that's a whole nother thing. We won't even get into that, but that was, <sighs> I'd never do that again. But um, I had 15 employees. And then just two years ago, I had 13 employees plus my, my office building, plus I was my own receiver. So I had three employees over there. I mean, my overhead was ridiculous. What I had that's to a lot make, for a small interior design firm, like, but I wasn't small. Yeah. I wasn't small. You know what I'm saying? So, and, and, you know, having three, I, I could, and I couldn't have done what I was doing. I mean, we were pumping out uh, two or three clubhouses a year, uh, 17 model homes, two or three residential projects. It was, it was a big machine. And um, I want to say about a, even before the pandemic, about a year and a half ago, I started outsourcing and I started, I went from 13 employees down to nine. And then I got rid of my receiving warehouse. Um, I just changed. I pivoted again because it was too much. I, I was overwhelmed. I couldn't, I couldn't have my thumb on everything that I needed to have it on. And um, yeah, so outsource, hire, hire people to do the things that you're good at. So what do you at. mean? What do you mean by outsourcing exactly? So like my CAD, the, all the CAD work that I do, I used to have an employee that full-time did CAD that I paid, you know, a salary to. Now I outsource it to this girl that's um, in South Florida. Her name is Manda. And She's a rock star. I've never met her in person. We so zoomed. like, you mean like freelance people? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. But like, again, okay. So in my business, um, I do all the interior design and I select the furnishings and, but, and I can do drapes. I, I hate doing drapes. They're tedious. Drapes and blinds. <laughs> I sub that out. Okay. Um, when I, I'm um, doing a model home and we are doing the accessories, I can do the accessories, but it's going to take me twice as long as Mary or Ellie. Mm. I know I can call Mary or Ellie. There, it's done. So I outsource it. You know, I still get to approve it, but outsource everything you possibly can. 
So it's about being more efficient with your time and your energy, because I think it's important to realize like, yeah, you can do things even though you're not that great at them, but it's going to take your energy away from something else that you are really good at. And what is your time worth? Okay. So say, you know, you charge $150 an hour. Okay. But you're doing the accounting, which you can pay somebody $30 an hour to do. doesn't make sense. Why would you, that's a waste of money. Right. Right. So delegating, very important. Totally. And how do you know the right amount of people to have on your team? Do you think it just depends on the business and what, really what you work what, well with? It really does. But I will tell you this, do not hire until you are literally at your wits end. I mean, when you, you know, you're so overwhelmed that you can't do another thing, then you hire, but not until then, not until then. Okay. So let's talk about business crises because this is something you brought up to me that was actually such a good idea to talk about because I didn't think about it. Like you went through a lot of, you know, shit kind of throughout the years of being a business owner with 9-11 and then the financial crash and now COVID. So talk about pivoting and, and how it was over the years. Um, again, pivoting, being able to, um, you know, just change directions at any time. I, mean, I started my business in 2000 and then 9-11 happens. I can't, because I was smaller and I was just starting out, I can't, and it was, you know, mainly based in New York. It wasn't a global thing like we have now. Um, it, I don't know that it affected my business as much as, you know, the other things have, but it was another struggle that we went through, you know, and, and, um, and from 2001 to 2008, my business had grown so much. And now I owned a building. Now I wasn't leasing. I owned a building. I think at that time I had eight or nine employees and, um, it, it, the crash in 2008 really didn't hit me until 2009, which is very interesting. So 2009, 10 and 11, um, it was hard. I went down to four employees. I mean, and we just, you know, we, we did a lot of renovations because nobody was buying houses. Think about it. You couldn't even get a loan. So my business, instead of doing new construction, you know, these people who were hiring me to do all these things, it wasn't their money. They were loaning that money, you know, and the, and the banks didn't even have the money. The banks were loaning them too much money. So, so hold on. I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. I was like, how old was I? 12, maybe. We were, we were building, we just finished building the big house. Okay. So can you kind of walk me through exactly what the financial crash was? Because I, I lived through it, but I was too young to really understand what was going on and how it affected businesses. So real estate, um, it was real estate and it was really, it's a banking crisis. So real estate is everything and, and not everything, but it is. Um, but what was happening is the banks were lending money to people who couldn't afford it, who never were going to be able to pay that back. People who, you know, combined, you know, husband and wife were making $100,000 a year. We're buying a five hundred, six hundred thousand dollar home because the banks were lending them the money, and um, you know the real estate market was out of control. The mortgage business was out of control. The bank, all of this stuff, and um, I, I, I'm not saying things because Wall Street. It was like people were just stealing and money without really, you know, what I'm saying the money really wasn't there, but they were right. saying it was. Right. So, um, so yeah, it in so that fa- affected everyone. And, um, but the people who were smart and still had money, there's always those people who've saved their money. That's another thing. Save your money. Um, and that's hard for me. I like to spend money. Yeah. Um, (laughs) 
but uh, you know, if you can have six months worth of reserve, um, then you're smart. You're really, really smart. But um, anyway, people who still had money uh, were, then that's when they were renovating their homes. And so um, doing major renovations, small renovations, and that's what kept my business alive um, through, through that crash. And then I did um, a couple of multifamily. I did um, independent um, assisted and um, independent assisted and memory care facilities um, for a big project up in the villages, um, senior housing. And um, senior housing is always a strong market here, especially in Florida. So, you know, got to find, go where the cheese is. I always say go where the cheese is. Yeah. So you had, so what were you doing before the crash? And then, and then what did you end up doing to kind of, you know, say the crash, I was doing a lot of high-end residential, a lot of high-end residential. I was doing multifamily. So multifamily is um, apartment complexes. So, you know, when you go to apartment, you've got your clubhouse and you've got all the amenities and then you've got the um, units. So I would design um, the, the main amenity spaces. I would um, also design the, the models and the fact that I really wasn't doing the floor plan of the models, but I select the cabinets, the sinks, the plumbing, the light, all that kind of stuff. Um, where in the clubhouse, I, it, it would be my architectural details. Like I want this ceiling detail here. I want the arches to be like, you know, I want the floor to be this. And um, so that's what multifamily is. A lot of people don't understand that. Um, but, and I still do that today. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, but that's what I was doing. I was doing high-end residential and multifamily before the crash. And multifamily went gone. I mean, after the I'm crash, sure. was gone. Yeah. Gone. But then the aftermath of that, people can't afford their homes. Then they needed apartments. So then we were mm. in an apartment shortage. So it's just, there's a yin and yang to everything. So, so then through the crash, what were like the key things that really helped you stay afloat? Um, I cut down on my staff and I, I pivoted again, marketing more towards the residential business. Um, and you know, it's scary. It is scary when you look and you're like, oh my gosh, I have no business coming in. Um, and that's when you really, you just start networking. I, um, at the time I took, I did the job at my church. I did the renovation for that. You know, you just do whatever you have to do to make money. And that's what I was going to say. I'm sure when you're navigating, like even times like now when people are short on money, there's probably an approach or a way you have to kind of talk to people and, and try to get clients that it, that's different than how you did it before. So did your approach when you were getting clients change throughout that crash? I can't say the approach changed. Uh, but the projects changed. So yeah, you have to, yeah, each, cause each project you approach differently. So yeah, you do. And, and again, I, I, I took on, like, I probably wouldn't have taken on that small kitchen renovation, but guess what? It's a job. So yeah. I'm doing it. Just like I'm telling you now I'm doing consults. I'll do a virtual consult. I'll go to your house and, and, you know, tell you what to do or not to do. And I wouldn't have even done that a year ago. I didn't have time to do it a year ago. How, talk about how you pivoted now. So um, what I, I think what I was explaining is, you know, I had this building and then I was my own receiver and my business was getting so big and out of control. At least it felt out of control to me. And um, I didn't really have a handle on it. So over a year ago, I started making small changes to make my life easier. And um, so in November of this year, I went down from like 13, it was to nine and then it was to like seven and then seven and then five and some part-timers. But 
I uh, decided to get rid of my receiving warehouse. Now, again, my receiving warehouse, it saved me money in the long run and I had more control because when you're dealing with furniture, half the stuff comes in damaged, you know what I'm saying? And so you got to make sure it's, you know, and then it's got to be shipped back and I've got a deadline, you know, we're supposed to be installing this project in three weeks. And if it comes in, you know, so all that stuff, I had more managed, but it was just too much. So I started to um, lessen all of that. And then um, right when this COVID stuff started happening, um, it just made it clear that I needed to get rid of all of it. I, I have one full-time employee. Everybody else is outsourced. Yeah. And I, you know what? I wouldn't have done that. If, if COVID hadn't happened, I guarantee I'd still be in my, my building is leased out. It's, it's leased to own. Thank God. And my warehouse, the, that lease is done. Um, but yeah, if, if I, that hadn't happened, I'd probably still have four or five employees still having, you know, a, $60,000 a month, just, that's what you have to make just to keep the doors open. And um, I don't have that anymore. And I, I've never felt freer. Do you think that's temporary or do you think when you, when kind of things like so that, that that's, the, that's the great question. Um, you know, the, I owned a building in 2008. Uh, I bought a, purchased a building um, in 2006, actually 2008 happens. I had to get, get rid of my building, you know, and and then I went back into this little 1500 square foot space and, you know, I was happy there, really, really happy there, but my business was growing again as it will. And then I bought this 4,000 square building. Well, I'm going to tell you when I got rid of that, the first building I had, I said, I never buy a building again. What did I do? Bought a building <laughs> yeah. and when I ramped up and got all these employees. So I will tell you this right now. Um, I pray I do not change the way I'm functioning now. I, and I know business is going to ramp up again. And so at this part of, of my life and in my career, um, being able to pick and choose the projects I want to do. And because I don't have all these employees that I'm responsible for, you know, for their livelihood and their family, um, I don't have the pressure to get as big as I was. I don't have to. I think that's, that's probably the number one thing that as a business owner, you need to hone is pivoting because you never know what's going to happen, obviously with COVID and everything. And if you don't have the ability to pivot, you're not going to make it. No, you're not. You're not. And you know, you, you just do. And, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm a workhorse and, and, and you, in order to pivot, pivot, you've got to be, you know, just making everything work and doing as much as you can to, and do it quickly. That's the other thing. You can't sit there and think about it, him, ha about it. No, this is what needs to be done. And I'm not going to say <laughs> I did all this on my own you know, knowledge, my bookkeeper, my accountant, um, you know, the trusted people, you know, in my business are the people who helped me walk through this and um, really uh, I'm just so blessed that um, I had their expertise to be like, okay, this is what it is. We got to cut this. We got to cut, you got to fire that employee. You got to let this person go. You got to get rid of this. Um, and I knew it, but sometimes even when you know it, you don't do it. Right. Right. You really don't have an option. So lastly, before we wrap it up, I want to selfishly talk about being a businesswoman and a mom, because as you know, I'm pregnant and I'm about to be a mom and I'm really wanting to make just man's my thing. So Talk about your experience being a mom and a businesswoman, how you balance the two and 
maybe what was like the hardest thing? Like, I want you to get real. Like, what are the sacrifices? What are the pros? What are the perks? All of it. So, um, again, you know, I have three kids and, um, but I also knew I was never a stay at home mom. That is not who I am. God bless those. St- again, probably cause it's too damn hard. Um, <laughs> and you know, it really is. And my kids were always in, in daycares and had nannies and things like that because I was working, but that's also what brings me joy. Not, not to say my kids don't bring me joy cause they do. But, um, I will say as a businesswoman, you are always, when you're at work, you think you should be at home. And when you're at home, you think you should be at work. It is a constant Guilt. struggle. And, you know, men don't have this. Mm-mm. Women do. Mm-mm. Men don't have this. Women do. And um, I had to really get over that because, I, you know, several parts, I was the breadwinner. I was the one who was supporting the family. So, but I still felt guilty when I was at work. Do you think um, that guilt is projected onto us as women from other people in society, or do you think it's us? Both. It is a, it is a 50-50. It really, really is. And again, us as women, we are the hardest on ourselves and we're h- the hardest on each other. And, you know, we also can be each other's best cheerleader. So mm-hmm. I do know that. But no, we're, we're hard on ourselves and we're hard on each other. And, um, and you know what that does come from? is a lot of these moms too that are stay-at-home moms that do you sometimes you feel judged of like I'll never forget like play dates and the the I used to call them the blondes when I'd pick up the kids from school you know that oh they played tennis and they did whatever yeah. and, you know um and that's lovely for them but they're also judging us because part of them wants to be out there working like right. we are right so always keep that in mind but being um I, I will say this though is um you know, my oldest is 18, almost 19. And then Palmer's 15. And then um, Holt's 11, almost 12. From being home, I've never worked out of my home before, except for maybe the first three months of my business. I'm working from home. I love it. My kids Mm -hmm. and the kids, of course, the kids are home. They see what I do. They understand when mommy goes to work, she's working her ass off. Yeah. And, you know, I'm making people happy. And that's what I do. I'm a problem solver and I'm making people happy. And in any business that you do is that's your job, you know? And, um, so they understand it now. And I just, I'm thankful again. I, this pandemic is awful, but it's brought really great things to me, my family and the business. And I think something you, you touched on when I, when we first started talking about this is it brings you joy. And I think that so many people forget that if mom's not happy, kids aren't happy. So if the mom isn't, doing what's making her happy. And if that means going to work and maybe not being around the kids 20, like 24 seven, if she's not doing that, but it makes her happy, she's not going to be a good mom. So I think, I think people need to understand that. Like once you become a mom, that doesn't mean that your needs and your priorities go away and that your happiness goes away. Exactly. And and here's the other thing too, is that I always (laughs) want to tell moms is that the people is you can have the best parents in the world. They did everything perfectly. Guess what? That child's still going to be in therapy one day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because, yeah. And, and, and you can have this, the worst parents in the world, and the, then the child comes out amazing. They're still in therapy. You know, we all have our own struggles and battles. You're not perfect. Your mom and dad aren't perfect. You're never going to be a perfect mom. And when you realize that, um, that you're doing the best you can, and, and that's good enough, um, then you don't put as much pressure on yourself. And oh my gosh, 
think about it. You're getting ready to do something that you don't know what to expect. You're Fuck a baby. No. Fuck no, I have no, no idea. I mean, I remember when Brandon and I brought Lawton home, you know, I get out of the, the hospital because he was born on 9-11. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. And we literally come home with the car seat, put the car seat down on the floor. We're sitting on the couch. We looked at each other. We're kind of like, what the hell do we do now? You're like, this is ours? <laughs> no, like, they let us come home with this thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, you figure it out. Yeah. You do. And I think that's like the, the number one thing that I feel like moms should really know is like, you need to measure your set, your success off of figuring it out, not off of like what you look like or what you think people think you should look like and, or what other people are doing. Right. Cause guess what? The grass is not greener. And it's the same thing with social media. You see this, Oh, well, they're doing that. Guess what? Their life is not perfect. Nobody's right. doing it. Perfect. Right. No one. So what are your tips for some new moms like me who want to start a business or want to be a working woman, but also want to be a mom? What are, what are some tips that you would give? I guess I would say, um, again, if it brings you joy, you know, and, and you want to start it, then it's important enough to do it. And, you know, so you take your kid to work with you or, you know, you, you, you put them together or you're, if you're doing a podcast, the baby's right there and who cares, you know, it's like, um, you'll figure it out. And, and, um, it's hard work either way. It's hard work being a mom. It's hard work being a business owner. Um, and if you're up for the hard work, it's one of the greatest things you can ever do. And fuck the noise because people are always going to have their opinions on what you do and what you don't do. (laughs) Opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. Okay. (laughs) And, um, yeah, you know what? Their opinion isn't right or wrong. And, and, you know, either everyone has it. So no, um, you know, have those strong core people around you, whether it's a parent or a best friend or a sister or whatever it is that can really be real with you. Um, and any that you can confide in saying, you know, I'm doing this, but I feel so like I'm not with my daughter enough or whatever. whatever. And, you know, somebody who can be really real with you and say, give yourself a break or yeah, maybe you should take that day off and take the kids here and there and do that. And it's true. You have to just balance it. And trust me, there's no such thing as balance. It's just not yeah. hard. Yeah. Okay. So before we wrap it up, I want to quickly just touch on business fuck ups. So like, what are the do's and don'ts for somebody who wants to get into the business world? Just like if you had to pick just general do's and don'ts, what would be your two? First one is don't think you can do everything because you can't. That's another thing. Put the right people in the right place. Um, the other thing is don't overhire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so again, I'm unless you want to get good at firing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, Always know your value. That's another thing too, especially when you're in our, I'm in somewhat of an artistic world, you know? Very creative field. Creative field. And and people think they can do what I do. And some people can. I'm going to tell you, I go into some people's homes and I'm like, God, you did this. And they're like, yeah, like that, you you did a really good job. Um, But other people cannot. And I will say I struggled with paying myself. That's the other thing too. First five years of my business, I didn't pay myself. I didn't get a paycheck. Let me tell you. I'm the first person I pay now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Pay yourself first. Yeah. Because you're the one who's constantly putting it and reinvesting it back into the business. I didn't even think about that. The fact that you probably didn't have the budget to pay yourself. No, no. And I didn't really care because I loved what I was doing. Right. And not saying that I don't love what I'm doing now. Um, I, but I, you know, I, I, I'm tired. 
<laughs> You're like, I need that money. <laughs> uh, just give me the money. Uh, but, but yeah, and I do. And I know my value. And, and a lot of people, I, I just had another person who, uh, it was a consult and, and they wanted, um, I charge by the hour. And she said, are you willing to ne- negotiate your price? And I said, nope, I don't negotiate my price. So did um, you get the client? Like, oh, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. Nope. No. And you know, when they say that, you know, it's, it's not the right client. It's not the right, right. fit for you. Right. So learning to say no in the business too, on the projects that you know are going to cost you more than be profitable. Don't do them. I, 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 but I learned that the hard way many, many times. I think that is important too, because I don't like, you don't think about that. Like I know a lot of people who are my age and just want to take any opportunity they can get because it's an opportunity, which is great. At the beginning, you you have to. Yes, which is great. But at the same time, if it's going to sacrifice like maybe your reputation or it's not the right client, then you need, even if you're young and don't really know what the fuck you're doing, like still know when to put your foot down and and have the confidence that something else is going to happen for you just because this doesn't work out. Yes, it does. It does. And I don't tell you, again, I've been doing this for 20 years. I had a project that would have been a really good project. It is. It was renovating an ex Orlando Magic football player's house mm. for this person who has more money than Carter has Liverpool. So let me tell you, he could pay me. He could pay me three times as what he wanted to. Orlando Magic he, basketball player. It was. It was an old. Uh, he, uh, Orlando basketball player doesn't live there now, okay. but it's his house. Okay, you said football, so yeah. I was confused. <laughs> oh, did I say football? I'm sorry. Yeah. Basketball. Orlando basketball. interior designer. <laughs> yeah. And um, so anyway, but this person bought. Yeah bought that house and it would be a great renovation, but he wanted me to negotiate my price. And, and again, even negotiating the price that he wanted to do, it was still a really good project. But the fact that he asked, uh, I knew it wasn't the right project for me. And I kind of kicked myself for a couple of weeks because I was like, oh God, I need, I need another, I need a job to come in. You mm-hmm. know what? Two jobs came in. Yeah. Right. And I'm very thankful I didn't do it. Right. So. Okay. And then what are three things that if you could pinpoint that were good calls or like the great business moves that you made throughout the years? Well, taking the rest and risk and starting my business. Number one. Um, again, I think I'm repeating myself, but putting the right people in place, really having the right help. Um, and also knowing when to pivot, knowing when, okay, you know, and, and that's again, having the right people in place and knowing your numbers, mm. know what you got in the bank and know what yeah. you got to pay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Knowing when to, to change or grow yeah, or not grow. And then lastly, because it would be a crime not to ask you about interior design and your expert opinion, what are some general tips that you would give to anyone looking to elevate their homes or apartments or just rooms right now? I will tell you the first thing that people need to do is get rid of their shit. Yeah. Okay? You know what I'm saying? My mom and I yeah. literally, my mom was like, I need to clean out my closet. I'm like, I'm cleaning out everything because I'm not taking anything that's I don't want to the new place. Less is more. Yeah. Get rid of the dust collectors. Now again, not you know, accessories are important and you want those fam- frames of the family and stuff like that, but like just get rid of the junk. Mm-hmm. You know, and and but here's the other thing too. Uh have your best girlfriend or whatever come into your house and, and, and look at it because you know, when you go into your home every day, you don't see the clutter that's there. Right. You don't right. because it's been there forever. You know, have somebody come in with an honest opinion and say, or hire a designer for a consult and say, what would you do? But, um, you know, so first of all, get rid of your junk, minimize, less is more, paint, 
put a fresh coat of paint, you know, um, uh, that's huge. I mean, it just can change so much. Um, you know, and the space has got to function for you and for your lifestyle. You know, I, I, I'm fortunate enough to most of my residential clients, um, are people who live in their home, you know, they got kids and pets and whatever. Mm -hmm. So making sure you have the fabrics that are stain resistant and, um, or leather, you know, again, I'm not a huge leather fan on a sofa, but, um, you know what, if you got three little kids jumping around, yeah, get a leather sofa, mm. you know, what are you doing right now? And how can people work with you? Um, so basically they can go to my website and, um, ask for a consultation. Um, I do that. I, I I'll do zoom consultations. I'll do in-person consultations if you're in the Orlando area. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if it's, Somebody out there that's doing multifamily and apartment complexes, I can do that. Uh, model merchandising for uh, production builders, I do that. Um, residential builds, we do residential um, construction anywhere in the United States. I'm doing a project in um, California right now. A client that I did their house here, I did their house in Michigan, now I'm doing their house in California. That's so cool. Yeah. And then where can people find you? Instagram, Facebook, and your website? So my website is anru.com. Instagram is anru interiors. And then Facebook is Ann Rogers as well. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks for chatting with me. Thank you for that. This was so fun. It was so much fun.